0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 48 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for stopping by. Today on the show, I'm very excited to bring you this episode for a number of reasons, and let me start listing those off for you. This guest is very entrepreneurial minded, and at one point in his career, he was the owner of three different studios. Three, I'm not even kidding. That's a lot. I'm also excited because we're diving into craft beer label design again today, and I love it. I'm excited by craft beer label design and just the creative flexibility you have in that industry. So what are we talking about? Today, my guest is Michael Berglund, and he was the designer at Surly Brewing out of Minneapolis. Now, in this episode, we're talking specifically about the Surly 15 Anniversary Beer Project, not only is it an amazing can design using a shrink sleeve, but it's also using a box. Now, it's not very often you get a 473 ml can with its own box, but it's an anniversary beer. It's special. It's got a beautiful stock. It's foil stamped. It's got a great shrink sleeve used for the can that matches the design of the box and the studio on fire was the printer for this box and they absolutely knocked it out of the park they always do an amazing group over there so michael takes us through the story of where the idea for this design came from and how he started down a path wasn't quite happy with that direction and how they landed on this final design now michael's also traveling around the us right now sort of a remote design position um, just traveling which is pretty damn unique Now, before I hit the intro and we get into this episode, if you at all are interested in craft beer label design, and you should be because it's so creative and can be so much fun then you've got to check out the Craft Beer Label Design course. Not only are we teaching you what this world of label design is and the materials available, the differences between labels and shrink sleeves, and my partner Gabby dives into the design of these things, how to export your files properly, set up your files properly for these different types of label printing. So it's an incredible course that we've put together for you guys there. It's priced really affordably for you to get into this game and start playing with beer label design. So if you want to go on and be an expert at craft beer label design or any beverage label design, then this course is for you. Time to grow those design skills into new markets and new areas of design with the craft beer label design course. The link to this course is down in the description of this podcast, but... You can also get to it by going to printdesignacademy.com. That's it, now let's get into the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Mr. Michael Berglund. Here we go.
1: Welcome to the
0: Print Design Podcast. The show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep, to holding the finished product in their hand,
1: and all the key decisions in between. So, let's talk ink on paper.
0: Michael, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm just fine. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Hey, thank you. I saw this project posted on Instagram. I don't even think it was directly from your account. I think it was shared by one of the design accounts I follow or something that just shares great work. And I sort of had to do a little digging and backtracking um, to reach out to you. But as soon as I saw it, I thought, I have to talk to this gentleman and find out what is the story behind this thing.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm uh, glad that you reached out and as we'll learn, as we sort of talk about it, this has been, this is particular project has got some meaning to me uh, in terms of how it all went down. So um, just having this sort of be the centerpiece of our conversation is uh, a lot of fun. That's cool.
0: So before we dive deep into that and give all that away, um, first tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you, where are you from? What do you got cooking and how did you land in this design field?
1: Um, Well, uh, uh, originally, I'm from uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, so I I am now an American citizen, but, uh, you know, Canada will always have me back. You know how that is. Yeah. Grew up there and uh, went to college in Winnipeg, and then uh, my family transferred down to Minnesota. My dad got a job down there, and so I finished college in Minnesota. So um, my degree is in music, and I was supposed to be a music teacher. and uh, when i graduated jobs were scarce and not very good paying and uh, so i decided to kind of take some time and reevaluate what i was doing and i moved to the twin cities minneapolis st paul and took some filmmaking classes so that led me into making some short films and i got into the film business as a kind of a grip and a gaffer and a production assistant Mm -hmm. and uh, worked primarily on television commercials but uh, a few Uh, Feature films along the way that were shot in Minnesota. Uh, At that time, I ran into another fellow at film school and against all odds and and did a really dumb thing and started our own company and decided we wanted to be a special effects studio in uh, Minnesota long story short that company still exists and uh, i was with that company my, the company i co-founded for 27 years and we yeah. did um, props models special effects primarily physical effects we created billboards trade shows displays um all kinds of stuff and wow. they still continue to do that and do installations and uh, major special effects type things. Not so much for feature films because that industry doesn't exist so much in the Twin Cities metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. So did that for 27 years. Uh, While that was going on, we weren't satisfied. So we built a couple of other companies, one of which was a design firm. So I just had a, a friend that had seen some computer graphics that we had done and said, hey, I need some websites made. And I knew a couple of, Uh, friends that were designers so we hired them and just kind of hung out our shingle as a separate design firm that did websites and print materials and things and we had them in one section of our building and then the third thing we created was a video game design company. And, Holy cow. Uh, we ended up making 20-some uh, uh, computer games for Atari and Activision and uh, Valuesoft. These were all kind of budget computer games. Harley-Davidson, uh, and most of these are PC games, right? So yeah. Harley-Davidson, we did some World War II action, some giant monster smashing movies. We did a series for Hot Rod magazine, like 22 or 23 different uh Computer games, so we wow. had these three three studios all at the same time designing computer games, doing traditional print media, and then we had the prop model and effect shop kind of going in the back. We so grew that... to be about twenty three employees, I think, at our peak. And uh, then my partner and I kind of looked at each other, and you know, there was a year that uh, went on, and I said, "This has been a year where I didn't make anything, I didn't." create anything. All I did was yeah. kind of walk from person to person and say, that's managed. great, fix that, yeah. do that, change that. And that ended up being pretty unsatisfying for both of us. So mm-hmm. um, we sort of consciously scaled the business back a little bit. Um, the, the, the guys that were our design team went on to careers in other places. Mm-hmm. And the computer game thing sort of naturally wound its way down as PC gaming really changed to be more mm-hmm. A titles and everything went console. And we couldn't keep up making uh, those kinds of things as a budget studio. So we scaled back the model uh, and prop shop and that continued. Um, But I had had a taste of the digital world, the design world, and Mm -hmm. I spent an awful lot of time self teaching myself the Adobe suite and lots of 3D modeling, um, 3D Studio Max, LightWave 3D, and then eventually uh, things like ZBrush. And and I really kind of got into that whole design. I liked. (laughs) I like not having as many fumes in my life as <laughs> back in the model shop where we were pouring resin and casting. Oh, for all sure. over the time. Yeah. <laughs> so over time I started, that started to be kind of my niche in the business and uh, sort of made a difficult decision that my partner and I were kind of going in different directions and uh, we could talk all about business ownership together and how that all works. But uh uh, before things got ugly, and they didn't, we were still friends. I just sort of made the decision, like I'm going to step away and and be my own independent person and be a des- be a designer kind of full time. <laughs> so I did that for a couple of years, and then uh, here's another topic we can sort of talk about. I took a flyer and I entered a design into a contest. Bad, I know, bad, bad. Don't do that. No you design know. contest. Well, I but I I was, it was always a brewery, with that, and I had been a home brewer for many years and yeah. loved craft beer and there was this scrappy little brewery in Minneapolis that was sort of taking the world by storm taking the craft beer world by storm and I absolutely loved what they were doing so they had a coaster design contest and uh one Saturday I I was working what else do you do on Saturdays but work mm-hmm. and uh I said to my wife I just need to take a few hours and I got to get this out of my system I got to do something so against all odds I won that contest And uh, went into the brewery to get a few cases of beer. That was my prize. (laughs) That's uh, awesome. (laughs) Well, you know. um, It's a brewery. I get it. Met met the owner and the head brewer. And uh, we sort of hit it off a a little bit and went away. And a few months later, they had a big party. And at that party, my wife and I were just kind of out in the parking lot outside the brewery. And uh, the owner came up to me. And it was late in the party. And he said... Hey, you're the coaster guy. And I said, yep. He goes, hey, I might add something for you. Wait here. And he left and never came back. So <laughs> uh, that was a party, right? And uh, so yeah. a little while ways after I contacted, I tried emailing again. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember. Sorry, I left you there. Anyway, uh, they had a volunteer organization that was part of the brewery, and they needed the logo and some identity to make some T-shirts for their volunteers and things like that. So I did that. And we hit it off. And this is one of these instances that was sort of serendipitous, right time, right place. And I had the ability to kind of take advantage of an opportunity. And uh, we were sitting in his office and he said, Hey, by the way, the design firm that originally did my logo and identity has kind of folded. Everybody's gone their separate ways. And they mailed me these CDs. Do you know what to do with these? And I said, Yes, I do. Absolutely will. And so he says, well, take them. And then if I get anybody that needs our logo or needs a can or something like that, then I'll just give you a call and you can take some beer out of the cooler. So I took the CDs and they said, "Uh, sure. And I started just kind of doing, I don't know, you know, a logo a week. Or then all of a sudden one of the sales guys called and wanted a flyer. And then the head brewer said, hey, I've got some ideas for a beer that I want to sell to the owner. And would you be willing to develop some ideas one thing led to another and it sort of spiraled. So that went from working for beer to charging money to a monthly retainer. And uh, then eventually uh, being offered the position of creative director as the brewery grew. So uh, that particular brewery, Surly Brewing Company, when I met them, there were I think like 21 employees okay. there, and, and they grew to be 350. Oh, and it got to be, uh, it still is a, a very large one of the largest breweries in the Midwest. It's in the top 50 breweries in the country. And so it was really a right place, right time thing. And for many years, I was the only person in the marketing department. I yeah. made all the sales materials, all the yeah. posters, all of the stuff for, um, Uh, festivals you know posters now pouring today that kind of thing and uh, they didn't have that many new beer releases at that time but then when that started I got my first opportunity to design a beer can Mm -hmm. that kind of went just started to spiral they started to grow and um, so for many many years I was the only person and there was a public relations and marketing firm that was on the outside Mm -hmm. that uh, was consulting and I would work with them and then eventually the decision was made to bring the department in inside, in-house. And we grew to a department of about uh, 13, 14 people, you know, PR, um, a writer, uh, events coordinator, uh, uh, marketing and sponsorships, and all the kinds of things that go with a larger marketing department. Um, and we ended up hiring two additional designers. So it was myself and two other designers. It went from just me to this sort of giant department. Um, so what
0: I, what I love about this is that the story started with you entering a design contest and that is, you know, the, and that's why I said, when you said it, you know, it's not always a bad thing because look, look where it's led for you. Right. I well, understand yeah. as a designer, you need to be careful of your time and cognizant of your time and the value of your work and, and, and things like that. But every once in a while, you, you get some of these breakthrough breakthrough things and that that's great
1: well um, you, you kind of have to go into it with your head he, heads up right are you being taken advantage of um mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and and i'm not uh yes it worked for me that one time you know i can tell you a bunch of other times that i would you know will work for uh exposure or all of those yeah. cliches that just mm-hmm. really didn't go anywhere and nothing happened yeah so exactly. um Yeah, I think it's just about being sort of heads up, being aware of what you're doing, the value of what you're doing. And if you're willing to give some of that value to somebody, knowing that you may not be compensated, uh, it's risky. I'm not going to sit here and say to people, you should really Mm -hmm. do that. Um, We did once I was hired, I brought this up to the owner and we phased out the coaster design contest. Um, What I really liked about it, though, was it allowed people who were fans of the brewery that wanted to reach out and really wanted part. to do something, an opportunity to kind of be involved. Yeah. But uh, from that point forward, we turned all of our uh, working with external artists into call for portfolio. Please yeah. don't design something specifically for us. If you want to work for us, show us some of your work, and we, you know, we can. Yeah don't ask people to work for free essentially
0: 100 percent, and i think that's i think that's the way the majority of the design community is going and and it should be run but you know every once in a while you have these little opportunities mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so circling this back to, a little bit to print because i love where we've paused this story now which i think is good timing to um sort of like leave it cliffhanging just a little yeah. bit until we get sure. into the project itself sure um but, Michael, I want to hear a little bit more about your history with print or your your interactions with print. And let's, like, kick it back in time here. What is your earliest memory of print or packaging? Maybe something from your childhood, from your teens?
1: So my, I thought about this a little bit. And, and so my question back to you is, doesn't everybody remember sitting at the um, table and reading a cereal box? Yeah, that's a common one, 100%. I think for, you know, and, and of course, At my age, um, you know, I didn't have a phone when I was growing up, but you sit there and you have breakfast in the morning and you're looking at every single part of that cereal box from the nutritional information to the copy. I mean, it's just a thing to look at. And um, obviously, looking back on that, I think it's a great example of story story storytelling packaging and you're trying to get the attention of a kid, you're trying to make a promise to them that the cereal rarely fulfilled, you know, but, uh, I still, I think a lot of what I saw in those boxes, um, I still a lot of people think that kind of stuff is kind of goofy or you know super consumerist and it's not very sophisticated. And, and I look at it a little differently and think it is because of those memories, and because of the kind of connection that the design made with me as a kid. And isn't that what we're all kind of trying to do uh, as designers, as adults? Right. So cereal yeah. box. Is there That's any specific
0: answer. cereal? What's the What's the one cereal that you usually went to? Um, well, there's only year? one
1: uh, Count Chocula. That...
0: Oh, classic, classic. <laughs> yeah, because you get the chocolate classic. milk afterwards, and right? You
1: can only get that once a year, right? And it shows up in stores now for for a month. And I still know lots of people as soon as it pops up that fills their Instagram feeds or it, it fills their uh, <laughs> you know because it's nostalgia and it's yeah. a sugar bomb and yeah. uh, really like overall just a lot of fun yeah
0: count Chocula.
1: that's mine i'm so a monster what? guy though i mean i've been a huge monster fan and that plays into some of what i did for surly too so mm-hmm. that's got that childhood memory i can see me. the
0: connection in that then okay mm-hmm. okay what about recently um any recent interactions with print or packaging that you were surprised by or you thought was really well done
1: so what I, it's weird how you go through different phases of what you're fascinated by. And and just, you happen to ask me that question right now. And what I've been paying a lot of attention to is cardboard engineering. interesting paper stocks and paper fields and such. Mm-hmm. And I think you talk about the difference, you know, print has become, I don't wanna say it's marginalized, right? But so many designers these days are working primarily digitally and online and mm-hmm. for screens. And the difference is that sort of tactile feel that you get when you're opening things. And then, you know, obviously Apple kind of started this with a lot of their deluxe packaging. And I think it's really important when you open their product, you know, how does it feel? And then, so I'm, I think more of what I've been interested in lately is mechanically what's the experience of opening something what's the experience of holding a product inside so from a package design point of view uh it's that materials can you pick it up and just some of the amazing feel that some different paper stock has and how that becomes part of the storytelling process right a very rough function of something the feel and the function and what that what the cardboard design and then what the texture of the paper adds to the story of what it is that you're trying to do design wise. So that whole tactile experience is just something that I'm uh, been paying attention to.
0: Lately. Yep, I know exactly what you mean. You know, I pay attention anytime I receive a product and I'm opening a product, I, I want to know, like, like, and I pay attention to it. It's not a let's rip it open to see what's inside. It's like, let's think about this process. And how did somebody engineer or design this particular unboxing process to create some sort of experience. And that's an important mm-hmm. part of any print of any packaging, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's been, yep. uh, uh, and, and of course, because designers do this, you find, uh, examples where it really works. And then mm-hmm. it's also kind of fun to uh, self-torture yourself with examples that are really bad. You yes. know, it's like, why, what's, this is a missed opportunity. Why did they yeah. do this? You know? That kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I had this, um, this comparison is, so I have three kids and we were going on this trip to Ireland a couple of years ago and there was going to be a long flight and a lot of time in the car driving from place to place. And I thought, you know what, let's just get them like some cheap tablets to alternate between books and tablets and, you know, give them that freedom. But I'm not going to go out and buy an iPad Mini for three of my, for all three of the kids. That's just, come right, on, that's right. just so much money. So we went with one of these Amazon Fire tablets. It was they were like thirty or forty bucks a piece or something, really, really cheap. Mm -hmm. So I have an iPad and my kids got this. And I paid attention to how they arrived in the unboxing experience of these different items. So the iPad, obviously, in Apple traditional packaging, it's really nice. It's really slick. It feels good. It fits well together. Everything has a place and a purpose. Mm -hmm. The Amazon Fire tablets came in this gable-top box. And you open the box, you're like, it's just shaking around inside the box. It's just a tablet tossed into a box. Mm -hmm. I thought, Mm -hmm. that is the difference in price point. Could you imagine if an iPad mini arrived, just tossed in a box and you paid eight times the price for it yeah. compared mm-hmm. with an Amazon tablet and it was just shaken around in a box. What is that?
1: It tells you something about uh, how the company values their product and yes. what, how they, but you know, I, I guess even more so than that, it's like, how do they value me? Yes. Uh, and, and obviously a good, design is, mm-hmm problem solving for clients. But it's also uh, like, I'll keep coming back to certain words, right, that I believe in. And that's experiential. And yes. and I really do think that thinking something through uh, the entire experience of mm-hmm. opening it in and, and what what it feels like. And uh, you know, in the case of beer, you know, what does it smell like and taste like that's mm-hmm. a whole part of everything that you're doing. So yeah, so yeah,
0: I got it. So Michael, what's the very first print project you were ever a part of?
1: Can well, you tell me about that? that? Sure. When uh, my company, when my my company, first began, and uh, we needed business cards, and so my my first print project. Uh, also has a little bit to do with uh, uh, the first one that went wrong. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so those two questions tie into it. So, you know, I didn't come at this from a traditional design background, right? I hadn't been trained at that time. Um, Even, uh, I believe things were still cut and paste, and the computer was just kind of starting to kind of come in. So I didn't know anything about it, we kind of knew what we wanted. But we thought, we're not trained designers we'd better get one and uh we, you know we're creatives but we weren't trained designers so we uh, we found um, through a friend of a friend how that's how these things work starting a new company and uh, the designer designed this incredibly elaborate business card with us for us a special um uh paper stock uh, metallic uh inks and maybe like seven different spot colors it was just crazy printed on both sides and they were ridiculously expensive yeah so but that was the first time i'd ever supervised a print project talked with a designer made that and so kind of coming from the client side was really interesting but being a creative that we had very specific kind of wants and needs well the end of the story was uh, we went through this whole elaborate process brand new company no money kids but we decided to splurge on these cards i don't remember how much they were but just put ridiculous number to it went all the way through the print process we got boxes and boxes of these print cards and they had been in front of friends family the designer their team probably 20 people our address we were in Minneapolis. So our address said, whatever, whatever, whatever street, Minneapolis, Minneapolis, not <laughs> Minneapolis, Minnesota. So it was a major, major error on a print oh. project that cost way more than we could afford. And we ended up with boxes of thousands and thousands of them. And, you know, I think uh, I would go flash forward to today and my biggest fear in any print project, you know, are those little details kind of going wrong, going sideways. And what are the implications as you're printing 10 or 10,000 or 100,000 of something? I wish I could say I'd learned that lesson really well on that first time, but it was really an introduction to uh, both. What can, what's possible in print because of the complexity of the project, I yeah. had no idea, and then what can go wrong. So yeah. what I, you know, now it makes a great story, Minneapolis, Minneapolis, you know, and no one noticed it. <laughs> I, th- I, I think actually the first time anybody noticed it was we were in a sales meeting and we gave a card to somebody and they said, oh, did you know this is Minneapolis, Minneapolis? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> How the long were looking at that thing? You know? Oh so. my
0: gosh! That's the thing, so. you know. When you've looked at something for so long, yeah. you start it just starts to blend. You don't start to see the mistakes anymore. They just blend
1: in and be like, "Yep, looks correct." To this day, I don't trust myself uh, when when it comes to a final delivery. That is just so nerve wracking, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, okay the business card typo that's how the class <laughs> and that's how the story is going to go down yeah, um, that's have you ever been part of a project besides the business card that didn't turn out as you'd hoped didn't go well or went sideways somehow um have you ever been part of something like that
1: well you know i guess i haven't been like There's been other little mistakes like that that kind of happen at the end of a project and things like that. As far as things going completely sideways, one of the things that we learned with our prop and model company was at the the end of the day, you kind of have to win when it's a client, especially sitting there. So it's more like being incredibly determined and keeping your head down and getting through every part of the process mm-hmm. in the way that you originally envisioned it. Um, you know, all that said, we all know about that vast gap between what you see in your head and what the final product is, right? Mm-hmm. And and so oftentimes you look at that final product and you're like, I don't know how this happened. And I'm not really all that happy with it. They, they, they say that uh, creative projects are never completed. They're just abandoned. You know, you get to a point where there's a deadline or there's a something. And um, so, you know, I could pull out projects and say, well, this is less satisfying to me. Or I didn't really like to talk a little bit about the what project you want to talk about, about mm-hmm. how it didn't quite, even though you loved it. And that's why we're here. Uh, there's a couple of things that I, I wish had gone differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, it's that sort of gap. And then there's also the curious phenomenon where you might have a project that you don't think went well at all. Mm-hmm. And the the client or the people who are the consumer absolutely adores Pay- the, the thing. <laughs> yeah, and you go, okay. I, I, what you, do you I know? know you know what? You're
0: right. I love this too. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: it's exactly what I meant to do. It's exactly
0: yeah. right. Yeah, executed flawlessly. Sure. <laughs> Perfect. So you briefly touched on in that answer, the project that we're here to talk about and how there's a couple of things that you know you would do differently or you've learned from. Um, so I think now would be a good time to dive into that project, what it is, how it came to be, um, You've already talked a little bit about the customer, but you know, what's the budget? What's the purpose? What's the, is there an ROI on this or is it just something great that they produce and put out in the world and, and all the production notes in between. Mm -hmm. So um, do you want to introduce that project for us?
1: Sure. So uh, the reason we're here today is uh, you caught notice of an anniversary beer from Surly Brewing Company uh, called Surly 15. Not surprisingly, that's their 15th anniversary beer. And um, there's all kinds of reasons why that is the way that it is. Uh, But, uh, you know, obviously the idea is... There's your your basic beer that you're going to go buy a 12 pack of every Mm -hmm. week or every few days. And then there are special beers that come out to celebrate um, either the brewers, the process, the brewery, things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about uh, storytelling and packaging. And uh, this is an opportunity. It actually goes back a couple of different beers to bring something really special to a beer package that i hadn't really seen before Mm -hmm. so um okay you're showing a a picture of it and this was sort of an when i first joined the brewery i was really interested as i told you in the tactile experience and storytelling and opening Mm -hmm. a product and the promise within and in the case of beer Mm-hmm. That promise is often backed up by, you know, an amazing experience. And then you've got the, the you know, you got the package sitting there with you. Mm-hmm. And I thought an awful lot about uh, more elaborate things like wine bottles and liquor packaging, especially, and how they make these incredible, you know, glass bottles that are engineered. Mm-hmm. When I first joined up with the brewery, I talked with the owner and I said, you know, beer is A different experience because you open the can and then you drink it. It's not like a bottle of booze that might sit on the shelf for months and months and months. And I I really wanted to do some special, specialty packaging, but the budget doesn't really allow. It's a dollar can of beer, it's not a $50. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, that's always the trouble. So, what we used to do for anniversary beers, it's really was (laughs) use the bomber format, Mm -hmm. but that has been declining and uh, for whatever reason market share people just weren't buying bombers anymore okay and that was ceramic decorated bottles wax dipped and when yeah, the time came, came for the 13th yards. anniversary beer i don't know if you've got any of that stuff there but i didn't get the, time the 13th, came one, the 13th I mean, anniversary just... beer and the bigger beers the decision was made to go to a 16 ounce can um a, uh, my son actually had given me a beer for christmas that came from firestone walker in california and it was a recycled cardboard box and it was meant to be kind of woodsy and very basic but the beer an individual beer came in the cardboard box right. so we're talking about well, what kind of a format how can we make a can of beer feel like a special occasion a bottle feels ceremonial taking the wax off opening it pouring it but a can is a it's a can. It's a can. It yeah, it feels more commodity. So I brought that box in and uh, was talking with our packaging manager and our marketing director, and I said, "Well, how about something like this?" And they, you know, their question was, "How can we do something special?" And how about this? Um, and they're like, "Well, okay, but it's recycled cardboard." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no. That's not that's not the point. We want to have something where you've got to open two things or three things." And. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I also had um, some friends that worked for an amazing studio in Minneapolis called Studio on Fire. And they operated traditional letterpress. And uh, they do fantastic things for all kinds of – they do playing cards. They do – most of their business these days is cannabis packaging, which is pretty – Awesome company there. But – so I said, hey, let's get these guys involved. And uh, so these guys, again, they came – we had this meeting where they were like how do we make this thing special it was sort of their uh, their idea to take this into a different direction and then i brought these things and kind of said what about this so the idea was well no we could never afford studio and fire to do this i mean at the end of the day it's a can of beer so the budget for the packaging can't be through the roof yeah but they were so excited to participate with us Uh, and they gave us a price and we ran the numbers and everybody looked at each other and said, well, let's go for it. So we did um, the 13th anniversary beer in a box. And then we did, um, we started doing, it's kind of a side prod, side story with a different kind of a beer that we also put in the box, but the anniversaries became this format. Mm -hmm. So uh, when the time came to do 15, usually, it is kind of working with the brewers because it's about like you know what the beer is going to be but because it's so process intensive you really don't know how it's going to turn out when you first start the are months ahead of what's this going to taste like Mm -hmm. so you sort of think about the process what goes into it and this is a process where there were several different beers made that were aged in different ways and all blended together and we started down this road of alchemy right and 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 uh, so uh, the marketing director was like, "I see it being something like magic," and uh, and we went down that path for a long time. And I did some designs, and uh, they're all been thrown out. So I'm not going to necessarily, <laughs> but you know, this was instinctively. Um, I just felt at some point it's not working, and I said mm-hmm. to the marketing director, "I just." The idea was great, the idea that it's sort of alchemy and blending things together, but I just didn't have an idea for some sort of a central thing to kind of look at. Mm -hmm. And you you ask all the time, like, where does inspiration come from? I don't know. I started thinking about the old Celtic green man, you know, those faces that you see in gardens and stuff with all of the leaves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Except I, I just sort of thought this is all about different barrel aging in wood and things like that. And they were, they were talking an awful lot about sort of toasted and overtones. And I, I had this idea of a female sort of version of the green man, um, and I started calling her the wood witch. And I wanted to have a female face because we, there's not that much female imagery in beer packaging that isn't mm-hmm. um, you know, misogynistic in some mm-hmm. way, that's maybe more, um, more confrontational and uh, I wanted the beer to kind of sort of dare you to open it and thus the sort of stare that the central character has. So it started as some drawings that were sort of leaf-ish and and then I kind of backed away from that and just thought it should be a little bit more abstract. So um, I said to them, hey, here's what I want to do. And if you go down to and show that ZBrush picture that's maybe the fourth or fifth one down. There you go. Yeah, I sent. I I started playing around because I've been doing 3d sculpting and 3d printing Mm -hmm. sort of on the side for a lot of fun. And I showed them this and I said, What if the packaging was something like this? And they're like, Well, sure, that's great. But how are we going to do that with one color foil on a cardboard backer? And I said, Don't worry (laughs) about it. Don't worry about it. I got it. I just need you to tell me that this idea You know, it's funny how people will look at something and they take it literally, like, that'll Mm -hmm. never work. So I started doing some renderings, and this is in uh, Keyshot 10, so I export from ZBrush and then do renderings. And at about the time that I put this thing together, they said, okay, this is starting to look really cool. Um, We still don't believe that it's going to happen. Like, we still don't know how you're going to do this. And, oh, by the way, we're not going to increase the budget to include more ink passes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I took that as the basis, and then I just kind of brought it in and and illustrated uh, based upon that. So it's kind of weird how I I can't honestly explain why the magic thing wasn't working for me. I was unsettled about it, and I can't honestly explain where this idea really really came from. But I just saw it, and I thought, well, okay, I got to sell them on this idea. Yeah. So at the time that i started the illustration which you're showing now they still didn't and i said it's going to be i, I wanted it to be symmetrical i didn't want it to be uh mm-hmm. you know i wanted it to be kind of a mirror image and i said well i'm going to start drawing and when i did the first render which you'll see is the next um next one down that one yeah so that's a key shot render where i just mocked up the box and uh i sent them they said wow that looks like that's finished That's amazing, let's go ahead and let's do that. So I almost had to take it to finish. And when you talk about, this is maybe a luxury that I had, having been with the brewery for 10 years, having been a known quantity, they know that I kind of always would get there. And uh, and also the fact that I just sort of run on this on my own, being on salary with the brewery. What's the budget? I don't know how many hours <laughs> does it take to get to the end. <laughs> is kind of the way that I work. Yeah. So I did kind of have to take it to the end and sell them. But in the end, everybody was really happy with it. Um, the color scheme came from the marketing director. He's like, I don't know why I just see purple and silver. I said, okay, that's that's fine. Let's you know kind of work in that direction. Mm-hmm. So um, I really feel like. Kind of coming up and pushing this through um, the people that I work with are very collaborative and very open to different ideas and sometimes I would say some crazy things and they just kind of let me run and I'm really grateful for that because otherwise a really skeptical client on a real budget and if you don't have that extra time to put into it I, I think maybe some good ideas kind of die on the vine because yeah. people can't quite see where they're going to go. So the, um, you know, the can is, is a wrapped can. The box is cardboard with the the foil and emboss. And in the case of the emboss, uh, the previous boxes I had indicated where I wanted things to, to be embossed, but they have some great artists at studio on fire. So I sort of collaborated and I said, here's the thing. Um, why don't you guys let me know how you think you'd like to accent this dimensionally. And so, they called out all the different embosses on there. Their their artists there uh, worked with me on that. And that was really satisfying to be able to collaborate. And they know what looks great. And so they really helped it to kind of take it to the next level.
0: Yeah, Studio on Fire is a brilliant team. I've had the opportunity to chat with a few of them briefly um, and see a lot of the work that's come out of there. And it's just I'm um, amazing, just absolutely mind blowing. And I love their Instagram as well because I'm I'm sort of a production nerd. Like I I have got 19 years in the print business and I, I love seeing the equipment and watching things operate and come together. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's one of my favorite parts of print in the process and part of why I love it so much. Um, I want to get into like just a little bit of the production details of this so we can understand the scope of this. Like I imagine that this is not something where you're producing 20,000 units. Like I imagine this is a pretty limited edition run. Um, Can you talk to me about materials and like quantities and things like that?
1: Hmm. didn't think you were going to ask about that, but uh, 20,000 is probably not out of the scope of okay. what we did. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's we distribute to or at that time distributed to seven different states and mm-hmm. uh, all the different liquor stores need to get their allotments. And uh, one thing I didn't get you a package of, but you, you you'd buy these by the case of 12 and also the the graphics are on the outside of the carton as well Oh, cool so um you know one liquor store might buy two cases and i don't i don't have those numbers at my at my fingertips of how many we did but it was a lot of beer
0: Oh, that's so, awesome. No, that's really good to hear because usually when you see something like this, it's produced in really small quantities and it's obscenely expensive, but you mm-hmm. know, with 20,000 ish or more units, you know, you have the opportunity to sort of amortize some of that setup cost over, you know, more of a quantity than trying to produce 500 or something like that. Right. right. So, right. Um, and the, the purple that you went with for the box itself, is that the paper stock that's that color or is that printed color
1: yeah that's the paper stock so it was always paper with a foil and all of our other projects were always you know whatever color paper you're going to you're going to make so the box itself um you know uh, studio on fire has got a massive library of different papers and they know For what sure. works in their machines and stuff so they kind of brought those to the party and uh, we gave them some pantones that we sort of thought and we didn't quite hit exactly but it was more important i think to be close in color and yes. right in feel yes. so again that tactile experience it needed to have some tooth to it and you're going to ask me the paper stock and i don't remember that either <laughs> but um so we also made a custom dye line for this so that um, our packaging people could work with it. And uh, that was sort of based on what they had engineered for Firestone Walker. But again, I got to give credit to Studio on Fire because they know how their, how the paper works and they know how, and they made mock-ups and their engineers kind of really helped to make something that came flat and then would just pop out and you can drop the can in there because uh, we hand placed the cans in each box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so that's,
0: That's an important, you know, since a lot of this episode has also been about the experience and paying attention to the experience when you're designing packaging, another important piece to look at is, are these going to be packed by machine and how, what's the best die line and type and style of box for that machine, or is this going to be hand-packed and we need to make it look beautiful? feel good but also assemble really efficiently because we don't want somebody to have to spend four minutes to pack each box that just becomes extremely expensive on the labor side
1: right right and they want to kill you Uh, yeah exactly they just don't don't enjoy it right (laughs) Right, so
0: hearing that from you i'm going to assume that this was an auto lock bottom box which means you just press on the two sides and comes together and forms the bottom and then like a lock a traditional locking tuck um top or a friction fit tuck top um, Um, which is just sort of your classic box which creates a beautiful box and it's easy to assemble
1: right right and then when the time comes to do it um the packaging department puts a call out to the marketing department says hey um Perhaps you'd like to stop by the packaging line um, for multiple (laughs) hours this week and chip in. Yeah. Perhaps you'd
0: like to come assemble some of these boxes you produce. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of thing. Awesome. Um, I want to touch on the shrink sleeve um, for Mm -hmm. this one for a little bit here. Let me just pull this up. We go to this one. So was this, uh, so with shrink sleeve, for those who don't know, it's a clear material. So you can actually use the can to show through some silver and things like that Mm -hmm. um, to create sort of almost foil effects. Um, Is that what you guys have done with this label or is that a printed metallic or what did you guys do with this shrink sleeve?
1: So the the shrink, this is one of those little sort of small disappointments, right? In terms of how it looks, Uh, what I really would have loved to is had the can printed uh metal decorated where the the can is showing through and then there's a metallic purple and it would yep. have looked really great yeah but um supply chains for aluminum cans and print it's run times for aluminum cans have become ridiculous yes and untenable like where you need to give them a beer to print like eight or ten months before you want it yep. we don't even know what kind of beer people are going to want to drink that far exactly exactly yeah. um plus the fact that we went to shrink sleeves because the aluminum shortage meant that we were re-wrapping old cans, you know? Mm -hmm. So we had old cans that we were gonna destroy. Instead, we would put new brands on the outside, uh, less than ideal conditions, Mm -hmm. you know? So had to do this. um, And the thing about this is you can get them in two finishes. You can get them in matte or you can get them in gloss. they tend to discourage going with the clear on there because the shrink wrapping is done on the can there might be condensation and you get bubbles and you get some uneven finishes sometimes so whereas i might have wanted to have the silver show through two things one, we had a matte finish which you almost can't tell the difference between a metallic ink and the can once you Mm -hmm. put the matte finish on the outside Mm -hmm. so The can doesn't pop the way that I really wanted it to. I really wanted the silver glints coming out of there in the same way that the box looks. Mm -hmm. Um, We decided, I I feel like of the two finishes, the matte has a better feel in your hand. It just has a little bit nicer nicer texture to it. Mm -hmm. And the glossy tends to look, it looks plasticky, right? Which also, to my way of thinking, sort of degrades the inherent value or the perceived value as you're Mm -hmm. holding it. So the matte finish and, and the shrink wrap kind of meant that we weren't going to get that metallic sparkle that I really wanted. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing I think that they have really improved on is if you remember those original shrink sleeves, they, you know, they're obviously they're distorted as, because they're heated and they shrink around there. Yep. And I remember getting these things where the, the graphics were warped and twisted and stuff. And I think they've gotten better at placing things and aligning them so that the cans do look good when they, yep. when they come out um, so and then the other thing of course and this is also a function of the way the business is these days the, can, the shrink wrappers are so overwhelmed it's crazy we had no opportunity to review a proof they're like you send us your graphics we'll get you your cans that's how we're working these days no <laughs> time to stop for you so just make sure yeah, it's right because you're going to get what you're going to get yep oh So you hold your breath and you kind of go like, you know, as a designer, I could have put up a hissy fit like, oh, what is that? You know, you can't do that. And but the economic and business realities are this is they're just working as fast as they can. So matching colors between the box and the can became kind of a. okay. here's the color, let's see what happens. And they got pretty darn close, but yep. that was a nerve wracking, you know, to not be able to have a press check, not be able to see a proof yep. and not be able to see do, see anything until it actually arrived. Huh. So there's a bit of a difference between those two pieces. And so that's sort of a less than ideal thing. Um, but it's also kind of funny that from a design point of view, the things that we get hung up on all the time, like, oh my God, <laughs> totally it has to be this uh, what is the kerning between that r and the period yeah. after it you know this tiny tiny little things and then the thing goes out and then you call me and say i love this thing well yep. I, you know and that's the thing you know the the, you know what's the overall impression the thing makes. Yeah we worry about those little things. Yes, exactly. And you know,
0: being having a print background and working in a commercial printer, you know, I can see these things. I can look for these things. I can identify these things. When I see a piece in my hand, I go, oh, they could have done this and this would have looked cool. But I obviously don't know the economic circumstances that any everybody's dealing with, wherever they are. But the general consumer is just going to be like, look at the drawing on this thing. And it feels cool.
1: So all good. Exactly. I mean, if it's really wrong, I get that part. I mean, it can be really wrong. But those things that we obsess about, we're paid to do it. We're sort of wired to see stuff like that. Um, But at the end of the day, I try to step back at the end of a project and say, well, first of all, let's go back to the original goal. What were we trying to communicate to people? What was either the message that we're trying to convey? Uh, What's the story we're trying to tell? And judge a project's success or failure not by, you know, how it's kerned, but by how's the consumer, who's our ultimate, mm-hmm. you know, customer. I guess, how do they perceive what you did? Is it a success? Does the beer sell? Do they, you know, and uh, in the case of this one, I, I, people, they're not making a, a fuss over the finish on the can, uh, and it turns out pretty well. I have to admit that it turned out well, even though there's those things that I wish were different. You know.
0: Yeah. You know, the other thing I love about putting a box together and creating this kind of experience is I guarantee you that there is a lot of people out there who look forward to this release every single year, who hang on to the boxes every Mm -hmm. single year and have them sitting up on their shelf. Um, Even if they open to drink the beer, I bet they rinse out that can and put it back in the box and they hang on to this stuff. Mm -hmm. So unlike an Instagram ad, unlike something you see on Facebook or on a website, this is sitting on somebody's shelf, Mm -hmm. sitting in somebody's kitchen, and they see it probably every day. Print and packaging just has this staying power, this memory power that a lot of digital design just does not have.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I absolutely agree that. And uh, one of the things that Attracted me to Surly Brewing in the first place was the owner really wanted to focus on local artists. And mm-hmm. so this is part of a long line of collectible Surly packaging. The uh, oh. The annual uh, Russian Imperial Stout Darkness has been, you now there's 15 or 16 of them, and each bottle that comes out every year has a different artist on it. That's and cool. so people have their verticals of darkness. Mm-hmm. And if you go on uh, oh. eBay, you can probably find these bottles for sale and these are empty bottles right mm-hmm. um the owner r- realized really early on when about the second or third bottle that came out somebody said oh i got uh, one of those first darkness bottles and i got it for 200 bucks i'm so excited and he went well that's a lot of money for just a beer you know and the guy's <laughs> like oh no no no! this is an empty bottle gosh <laughs> you know, collector's,
0: items, didn't they have any collectors idea items
1: that that, that was going to happen you know so yeah. um, I'm very you know couldn't be more grateful to have had the opportunity uh, to to do this stuff to be a part of that that tradition and, yeah. and again to have the faith and support of the staff at the brewery uh, mm-hmm. to sort of take some of these kind of crazy, crazy leaps in different directions I, I yeah. do think it's important
0: Man, that's such a cool project. Um, so the last sort of question related to this project here is from the first meeting or conversation about it to holding a finished box in your hand. What is that timeline like?
1: Well, you know, I was actually looking back at some of my fi- you know, this is one, well, obviously, we knew there was going to be a 15th anniversary. Pandemic yes, sure. notwithstanding that we figured the brewery was going to make it, right? So as soon as 14 is done, you start saying, okay, well, what's 15 going to be? <laughs> and uh, uh, the brewers have to get going many, many months in advance. And I sort yes. of say, well, I don't even want to begin until we know, like, what kind of beer is it going to like." There have been times when I've had to design something for something. I just didn't even know what it was going to be needs to fit in this particular place on the shelf. And we're all running at it at high rate of speed. We'll figure it out, go design something. Yep. (laughs) Perfect direction, you know, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, I would say this probably was a three month, Kind of a burn, like okay. okay, we should probably get going on that. And then, like I said, we we ran down the the uh, path of this whole magical alchem- alchemical thing for a while. Mm-hmm. And at the at the end of the day, this is a, another great cautionary thing for designers. I think I was kind of down to crunch time, mm-hmm. and I was putting forth some of this stuff, and they're like, okay, sure, but we can't screw around any longer right you yep. just got to get this thing nailed and then yep. at the end of the day it probably happens over a period of just a couple of weeks just like cramming <laughs> the thing out the and, real the real cram yeah you well know, and, and I, I always have this thing we we can talk about this too but i i think an awful lot of design work happens before you sit at the computer before you sit at the table it happens yep. while you're out taking a walk it happens while you're having dinner it happens it's in your head. Yeah, it's in the little sketches.
0: You. It's in the little things and little memories and clips that you have and you see, and you kind of put this thing together in your head and then you refine it I mean, sketching I always, and putting it into the screen.
1: I always say, I know what it is. I just have to make it now. Yeah. And it might've taken me a month to know what it is yeah. to figure it out. And then once you kind of know, that's how fast can you move the mouse? How well do you know Illustrator and Photoshop? And how fast can you go to get that idea out of your head and production ready? Exactly.
0: Yeah, no, I don't. I definitely don't disagree with that. With that cramming portion of it. Um, <laughs> Michael, that was awesome looking at the sort of the behind the scenes creation of that and what went into it and hearing your story and experience really from years past leading up to these projects and these special releases. I'm looking forward now and I'm going to be looking for 16. I'm going to be keeping my eyes out for when that comes well, out. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah, um, so that kind of gets us into a completely different topic, and that is kind of like going forward what I'm doing and what Surly's doing. So mm-hmm. 15 ended up being I pretty much my last project with Surly. So you probably yes. don't, even, don't even know that that happened. Yeah. And, uh, so, and and it was released after I had left, so mm-hmm this is i'm going to take it in a slightly different direction just to kind of talk about how that went but yeah 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 and and this is the pandemic and this is what we're looking at in terms of a difference in the way that we that we live and work right when the pandemic first hit um uh, i got put on a rolling furlough and uh, i ended up in uh because (laughs) they just looked at it and they're like okay we have enough cans for six or eight months and uh, we need to do something right now so can you take a little time off? And I went, okay, you know, be a team player. That'll be just kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I, and I ended up working on a couple of different projects along the way, but um, I had some family things going on. I had, uh, my mom uh, needed some care. And so I ended up down in Arizona mm-hmm. uh, being with her and, and doing some stuff with family. And then the time kind of came. Okay. Uh, we're going to have you back, but we're going to all be working remotely. So, a year, 15 months of working remotely, and uh, I made I made a decision, having been my own business owner, having been a lone wolf, having been all this. And they started to talk, it's early about well, hey, it's time for everybody to start coming back in the office. Everybody's vaccinated. Let's get back. And I had a sort of heavy sigh and say, I am really really heavily invested in working remotely right now I felt mm-hmm. I felt like I was sort of emancipated creatively I felt yep. like I, I felt better about my work and what mm-hmm. I was doing and mm-hmm. as we all know part of a nine to five is you know you can't just walk in and kind of turn the creative key and all of yep. a sudden it comes and you know, what I oh, talked about wow. earlier about taking a walk about uh, doing something different and the solution kind of whacks you in the side of the head when you're not expecting it. 100%. So I really enjoyed that freedom. And uh, I knew going in, I just went in and I said, Hey, I uh, I don't think I'm going to come back to my cube. And they were pretty surprised. And I said, I'm happy to continue working remotely, kind of do whatever it takes. And they said, well, that's probably not going to work for us. So we went our separate ways. I don't know if they thought I was bluffing, or you know, like, oh, he's asking for something that we can't grant. And in the case of uh, of a brewery like that, um, just about everybody that I've talked to, and I, I don't, I don't want to cast anything, you know, incredibly negative on them. They're going to do what they're going to do. But everybody's like, wait a minute, you, you were there for ten years, and you went in and said that you wanted to work remotely. It had been working well for a year and a half, and they said no.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a big, interesting change over yep, in, in the workforce, <laughs> right? It's a big yeah, change in yeah. the workforce and um, some companies are going to recognize the advantages of that situation. Um, and some companies won't. And let's be honest, really the advantages aren't there for all types of work, all types of positions mm, right, and things like that. Right. But especially in the design and entrepreneurship and creative spaces, um, yeah. there's definitely advantages to working remotely, um even if not full time at least part time and you mm-hmm. know splitting it up things like that but yeah that's a that's an interesting interesting so we'll shift what but happens this with
1: 16 you know it'll be like this... I, and it, there's no animosity there right they said well no, we we'll can sure. use you uh, it hasn't happened yet but you you never know kind of how that's going to be and and maybe they just decided okay well we're going to we're going to do something a little bit different so um so that having been said i had the great fortune to um some people from back in my video game days Mm -hmm. uh, that i had stayed in touch with over the years um as i was kind of going through this and and believe me this wasn't an easy decision i've been with that brewery for 10 years right and to kind of go in i really had to you know hold my breath and and do this but uh Mm -hmm. these people said hey uh we're kind of expanding we need some help And I said, uh, like, how are things over at the brewery? And I said, well, I'll I'll tell you in a couple of weeks because I was just about to kind of go in and because uh, that worked out. So I've ended up doing well, I've got all kinds of different clients and things going on right now. But one of the major ones that I've been doing is I'm back into doing uh, video game packaging. So um, I got to work remotely. Um, my wife and I got a camper trailer and we've been traveling a lot around. I outfitted it with uh, two different uh, mobile carrier hotspots. So as long as I have Wi-Fi access, um, I can work. So I, I produced uh, all of the packaging for a a number of video games, the most prominent of which is Nickelodeon all-star brawl. So I went from working on, Beer packaging to working with SpongeBob, and uh, <laughs> it's 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 been really surreal. Like I was out I camped in a national forest in northern Washington, working on these major worldwide console releases, Xbox and PlayStation, and I just looked at it and I thought, this is a brand new world. I'm really uh-huh. really fortunate, and uh, and I really like this. I, I mean, I really do so um i now have the ability to kind of move around and travel i have them as a great client um, and a number of other uh smaller concerns that i've been working for and then i've also just been exploring my own artwork and sculpture and design which is a different podcast just so hearing I, you know, that, that's a new world right
0: what a fulfilling feeling to to do that to have that freedom to have that choice to middle of the day you know what i need a walk just to sort of get some space here you can go for a walk you can get refreshed revitalized you can kick open the camper door and sit and drink coffee while you know looking out of the forest or whatever like that's such a a a beautiful lifestyle being able to produce the caliber of work that you're producing while doing that lifestyle is it's incredible it's it's Like, it's completely envious, 100%.
1: I'm really thankful for it. You know, I've had a lot of really kind of fun and different and interesting opportunities in my life. And, uh, you know, I, I think I look at life experience and design training like every day to try to push myself to learn something new and to never rest and never be complacent about what your abilities are. So I had because of the pandemic and, and also like this idea of working remotely and setting up a workstation mm-hmm. has really paid off. But it yep. took laying an awful lot of, you know, boardwalk runway in front of me in order to enable that. Yep. And uh, so it doesn't happen No, But uh, if you're confident in your abilities and, you can, and you're can, you fortunate enough to find uh, a client or coworkers that are also confident in your abilities to mm-hmm. to deliver, you know, I kind of I have a track record of making deadlines and and of not having people have to worry about me. Like, go make this, and they know it'll, they know what's going to happen. And I think that's been the most valuable, almost thing in my career is that I can take worries. We talk a lot about you know communicating with the consumer and telling stories, but from a business perspective, taking worries away from your clients and coworkers is how you're going to advance right like i have this massive problem and if you can say don't worry about that go on your go on your way i will get that taken care of figuring and and it's going to be great and it's going to happen in time and i will hold your hand through the whole thing and i'm going to make you look great you just continue along your way so Mm -hmm. i think having cultivated that with people is allowing them i'm a trusted commodity at this point Uh, and Mm -hmm. and so uh they know i if i basically look them in the eye and say this will happen yeah and then i deliver and i think uh from a working relationship uh that's what people need to know about you as a designer because at the end of the day that's what they need done right yeah man
0: Michael, that is a beautiful spot to wrap this up. That is like a super envious position <laughs> to be able to work your way there, take the risks and, and you know, take the heat to, to make those decisions and to, to clear out, um, you know, that sort of freedom of choice. And that's really, I think, what a lot of people are striving for. And it, it, takes, it takes guts, it takes a lot of problem-solving abilities, but it's by no means impossible
1: right right and we uh, let, let's talk who we talk next year i, I don't know if it's going to work but sometimes you take risks right and see how it goes so yeah
0: you just uh, take risks and figure it out as you go
1: yeah
0: awesome michael thank you so much for being my guest on the show today and sharing this project with us sharing a little bit about your story and where you are at right now with your sort of remote design exploration um mm-hmm. lifestyle right now
1: yeah Uh, absolutely. It's been a a great pleasure. So thank you. All right. That
0: is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for checking it out, everybody. And again, if you are interested in learning that craft beer label design world, that beverage label design world, or any labels really, then check out the craft beer label design course at the link down in the description of this podcast, or by going to printdesignacademy.com. You can also check us out on YouTube where we're teaching you all kinds of print design stuff for free, of course, for free, because I want you to do more print. And anything I can do to help with that, I'm all ears. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.